When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. Wales left with a bitter taste by the Danish. Could Gareth now bail on the Welsh? We're 31 unbeaten for Italy, who have VAR to thank for seeing off Austria. And today sees a shoot-off between two of Europe's most prolific marksmen as Romelu Lukaku's Belgium take on Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal. Here with me to get into all of that, we have Dominic Booth from the Manchester Evening News and Tom Clark from Football.London. Dominic, I'll come to you first up. And we'll get into the Welsh first of all. Going into the game, we were all sort of seeing it maybe as a a game on a knife edge of 50-50. In the end, Denmark ran out 4-0 winners. Yeah, I did think that Wales would have a real chance purely because of, the, I think, their pedigree and knockout uh, football. You know, Euros 2016, they were absolutely fantastic in, in these sort of games and they just found a way, whatever whatever happened, really. And this is altogether a bit more different, wasn't it? They were outclassed, I think, on the day. Denmark were, uh, obviously have been since the, the, the Christian Eriksen incident. They've been fairly inspired and, and clearly motivated to, to produce these kind of performances. And they were unlucky to lose to Belgium, I think, in the group stages. Uh, they were superb to beat Russia and yeah I can see them just continuing this to be honest with you they look a a difficult team to beat they're very well organised very accomplished and yeah they had absolutely far too much for Wales on the day didn't they yeah definitely England did have a bit of a tough time against them in the Nations League as well didn't they Tom looking at the game first 20 minutes or so Wales seemed to be the, the side on top Bale had that shot that just sort of faded wide of Kasper Schmeichel's upright, and but then after Kasper Dolberg got his first, it was sort of one-way traffic, really. Certainly in that second half. Yeah, absolutely, and it, I mean it was basically a home game for for Denmark as well. The crowd, you, you even just watching it through the TV, you could could see how much the crowd were getting behind them, and and understandably the neutrals were uh, were all rooting for Denmark as well. Of course, there's the Eriksen link at, at Ajax as well, and Dolberg was there too. So you know they had the the Dutch behind them as well, and like you say, if if Wales had taken the lead, then maybe it was, you know, it's a different story. But once Denmark went 1-0 up, it, it was just kind of the result wasn't in question, was it? I mean, there, there was some debate about the second goal, whether it was a, a foul in the build-up to it. But I think that's just kind of an excuse, really, because even, you know, even if that goal hadn't been given, you would have backed Denmark to uh, to go on and, and get the second, the third and, you know, and, and a fourth as they did in the end. They, they, would, they were superb. Yeah, they, they were. And Dominic, it kind of felt in terms of, how the game played out certainly in that second half the, the Welsh almost I don't really want to throw it at them but kind of lost lost their heads a bit by the end obviously Harry Wilson had the sending off the second goal really you could see sort of played on them in terms of thinking it, a foul should have been given to them for, for the foul on Kiefer Moore but it, it's one of those isn't it where if you kind of step off it in any way in international football at, knockouts, at knockout level then the results are, are often fatal as they were for Wales yeah, and I don't think anybody would say that Wales were unlucky to lose. You know, they they were deservedly beaten on the day. Denmark, uh, the scoreline maybe flattered Denmark slightly, but but not overly. I don't think. I think three goal margin was probably uh, would probably been a fair one. That foul on Kiefer Moore was a marginal one for me. I know Robbie Savage made a lot of it on 
on commentary as as maybe he's wont to do as a, a proud Welshman himself. I mean, fair play to him, but Wales had to defend that better. I mean, the, the poor the poor clearance was from Nico Williams, wasn't it? That fell straight at, at the feet of Dolberg and. and he was an absolute uh, monster, really, on the day for Denmark, and he was never going to miss from, from that kind of range. So, yeah, I think the Wales probably Wales fans will probably be licking their wounds a little bit this morning, uh, unjustifiably. So, um, I think they probably achieved about par uh, in terms of finishing in the last sixteen. Getting through the group was a good achievement from them, um, but yeah, just fell short really. And like I said before, fell short to a, a good team on the day and I don't think they can have too many complaints about the, the officiating or um, I mean that red card of Harry Wilson wasn't a red card really at the end but it hardly mattered by that stage in the game yeah definitely and then after the game Tom we had the incident with Gareth Bale being asked about his future was that going to be his last game for, for Wales and, and just walking off what, what do you make of the whole Gareth Bale saga I suppose I mean, when you when you see it, it does look extremely rude just to walk away from somebody asking you a question like that. You know, you, you could just say, I'm not going to comment on that at this time. But in fairness to him, he has made it clear that he's not going to talk about it. And, and you know, he, he when he gets asked a question that he's said numerous times, I'm not going to talk about it, it, it probably in the end, it's just it's just got to him. And so he's just just wandered off. And yeah, it is a saga. But he, I was listening to uh, to some of the stuff on the on the radio afterwards as well, and they were they were saying, you know, he's so close to his hundred caps, and maybe that's just you know non footballer's perspective. But wouldn't it be nice to finish with you know with a hundred caps for your country rather than three or four short? So you could see maybe they'd want to keep him going. I'm, I'm sure the um, the Welsh you know manager and, and coaching staff will be doing all they can to persuade him to keep playing because it's only eighteen months until the next World Cup and Wales haven't played in a World Cup for, you know, well, I, I don't even know when they were last in a World Cup. And if Bale could could end his career at, at a World Cup, that would be some way to sign off. Obviously, they've got to get through the qualification process. But I'd be surprised if if he just, you know, retired and walked away from them just yet. Yeah, so just to chip in, I think Bale's 31 and Wales yeah. haven't been in a, in a World Cup since 1958. So he'd be 30. Two thirty-three. By the time the next World Cup comes around, there's plenty of time for him to make an impact at a World Cup. And and like Tom said, who better than Gareth Bale and to inspire your country to their first World Cup in 50, 60 years, and and even get to the knockout stages? And who knows what Wales Wales are definitely capable of in these tournaments. So as they've shown, Absolutely. yeah, definitely. And just sort of staying on the Gareth Bale point, and obviously there's, there's been sort of speculation that he may, he may well be done with the game. He may well retire when he says that he's got this announcement to come out with. But given Carlo Angelotti's back at Real Madrid now, Dominic, and the role he played when Gareth Bale first joined Real Madrid, is there maybe a chance that things are going to be done at Real Madrid almost to appease Gareth Bale and actually finally sort of give him the, the, the stage to perform on there? Well, it's not something that Real Madrid have ever done with Gareth Bale, even though yeah. they, they paid a huge amount of money for him. They haven't pandered to him. There's always been somebody else there. They've wanted to to massage the ego of, whether it be Cristiano Ronaldo or Karim Benzema or someone like that. But but those figures are drifting away. I know Benzema's still there, but Real Madrid don't have those sort of totemic um, figures that they had in the past. Maybe they'll make a play for someone like Kylian Mbappe. We don't know that yet at the moment in the transfer window so the options there to to bring Bale back and to to make him the star again I don't see any reason why he couldn't do that saw it uh, we saw it in fits and starts I think at Spurs what what Bale is capable of I think he's still probably managing his fitness a little bit I know he's had a lot of injuries it seems strange to say that for a player who who's 31 and who's you know probably should be at the peak of his powers but you could see him retiring and moving away it just seems like he 
he maybe has lost a little bit of interest in, in the game. I guess it's down to Carlo Ancelotti to to reignite that fire or for someone else, wherever that may be, the new Spurs manager, if Bale wants to go back there or or somewhere else. I can't I can't see him going to China or the MLS or something like that. I think if he if he doesn't fancy it in La Liga or the Premier League, I do think he might actually call it a day. But what do you think, Tom? Do you think Angelotti could well hold the key to to keeping him on at Real Madrid? I, I think I actually agree with with Dominic there that it. I, I don't see him going off to to China or MLS. It's like if if he's going to do it, a player at his level is going to want to do it at the highest level and then then call it. Then you know, like Zidane went out after a World Cup final. Not I'm not. Saying Bale's had the same success as Adam. I mean, he has at club level, but not on the international stage, obviously. But it, it's, I mean, yeah, Ancelotti has that man management skill, doesn't he? So if if there is somebody who could get the best out of him, it would be Bale. And, and like Dominic said, you know, they don't have the Ronaldo figure that they did. Although you, you would expect Real Madrid really want to see the best out of um, Eden Hazard. He's he's younger than than Bale, but it, it's fitness issues with him. So you know, if if he is struggling with with injury, you know. One of those things could could they like, manage the game time between Hazard and Bale and like what what a couple of players that would be to have dovetailing for you in attack. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I suppose if it if it is his final act, Gareth Bale, we've we've got that gift, that meme now for the rest of time of that that VAR decision going in and him puffing out his, his cheeks. But in terms of Denmark, just before we move on, Tom, I'll, I'll come to you on this. Obviously, Euro ninety two they grew into the tournament famously and ended up winning it. They are they are sort of classically growing into this. We know what happened in the first game with Christian Eriksen, but ever since then, they've been piecing together very, very good performances. Absolutely. And and had it not been for the Eriksen incident, you would have backed them to beat Finland. And with Eriksen in the team, they would be even better than they are. And they, they coming into the tournament, they were always likely to get through the group stage. They were, they were you know, clear second favourites in that group behind Belgium to get through. They're, they're a good team. They're, they've got a lot of good players. They've got a very good goalkeeper. They've got a solid defence. You know, Dolberg is, is lighting it up. Damsgaard's a good player. Um, you know, Braithwaite, we, we remember him over here for his time in Middlesbrough, but he does play for Barcelona. He did get a move to Barcelona for a reason. You know, he, he is a decent player. They've got Paulson as well. And yeah, you, I mean, the draw between them and Wales, you know, when they seen them in the last 16, I, I always had Denmark as clear favourites for that. I didn't think Wales would would really have any chance on that. I mean, I know it's hindsight, it's easy to say now, but in the quarterfinals, probably back in Denmark to win that one as well. Yeah, well, in terms of their quarterfinal, we'll get on to, to that shortly. But before we do, let's touch on the other last 16 game last night in Italy, needing extra time to find their extra gear to, to get past Austria, Dominic. And Austria sort of put up a, a valiant fight, albeit first half. It looked as though Italy could score as and when they wanted. But from the second half onwards, Austria were brilliant. Yeah, I was hugely impressed with them in the second half. The positive way that they seemed to approach the game and the front foot football they were playing, no fear football really. And I guess that comes from a, a nation that haven't really haven't, haven't felt that pain in the knockout stages of a tournament before. It was almost like, well, we're, we're here, we're happy to be here and let's see what we can achieve. And, and some of the football they were playing, it was absolutely fantastic. Hugely unlucky with that Arnautovic goal that was marginally offside. Yeah, that, that was really the killer, wasn't it? As soon as that that was overturned by VAR, you just felt that was a boost for Italy, and and they would go on and, and do something. Although it didn't it didn't happen in the in the rest of regular time. It happened in, in injury time in extra time. Sorry, with Chiesa's goal. Um, but even then, Austria kept fighting. You know, getting the goal back from the corner was an absolute um, shot in the arm for them. And 
I kind of backed them to, to find a goal again before the end of extra time, but obviously it didn't quite happen. I think um, everyone though will, will remember that Austrian performance. It was one of those sort of real um, plucky performances from a team that nobody backed in a, in a knockout game. And I think it might have given Italy a bit of a shake that because Italy hadn't really had a test at all um, until that game. And I know everyone's talking about their um, unbeaten run. They hadn't, I don't think they conceded a goal in 12 games before last night. So um, maybe a little bit of a, a wake-up call for Roberto Mancini. Yeah, definitely. 31 now unbeaten for them, Tom. And we were all waxing lyrical about them through the, the group stages. It was definitely a shock for them to, I suppose, be taken to extra time. But West Ham fans will know all about the qualities of Marco Arnautovic. And it looked as though he'd come up with the uh, well, the, the spoiling act for Italy, as it were, for to, to put Austria ahead, albeit VAR intervene. Yeah, it was it was a good header from Arnautovic at such a tight angle, but it was the way Alaba climbed and beat his man was was so impressive. I mean, he, he's he's such a good player. Obviously, you don't play for Bayern Munich and move to Real Madrid if you're not, you know, you're not absolutely top quality. But what a player he is, and he can kind of play. He's like Austria's best player in any position, wherever they play him. He's he's going to be their best player. And and it, the only thing with that goal is that yeah, it was it, it was offside. You know, it took VAR to to uh, to rule it out, but it, it was offside. It was the right call, but it's. Italy get that boost of suddenly, you know, not having conceded, but God, that's got to be such a killer blow for Austria when they, they've scored against this defence that just do not concede goals. And you get the emotion and the high and you saw Arnautovic run off and celebrate and all the teammates there. And then suddenly, you know, two minutes later, you're told it's not a goal. That's that's really, it, it's got to be really hard to build yourself back up from that. You know, you've just broken down this, this defence that do not concede goals. And then all of a sudden it's still nil nil and you've got to go back again. And it's so credit to them for the way they, they went, they stuck at it and they came back at two nil down in extra time. You just assume that it's, it's game over, but they didn't, they came back and they, they got one and they kept on pushing. And very rarely do you see three goals in extra time. And, and especially when one side go two nil down, if they're two nil down, that's normally, you know, game over, shut up shop, especially when it's this Italian defense. So I think Austria deserve a lot of credit. And like they, they built their way into this tournament as well, because they did not start the tournament very well. No, definitely. And I suppose in simpler times without technology, we would maybe have seen Austria through to the last eight. But that's it then from those two games, Italy and Denmark progressing through to the quarterfinals. In terms of today's action then, the Netherlands against Czech Republic at five o'clock, the first game of the day. And Dominic, the Dutch were the, the top scorers in the group stage and Jorginho Wijnaldum and Memphis Depay, maybe not sort of classic Dutch players from through the years, but both of them in this tournament in their own way have sort of grabbed the uh, team by the scruff of the neck, kicking and screaming to, to make sure that their quality does tell. Absolutely, yeah. We've seen Juan Alden do this for Liverpool, haven't we? Take games by, by his own own will, really, and, and bend it however he however he sees fit. And he, he's obviously another one who, who's got immense quality and and probably is a little bit underrated, really, for for what he's done in English football uh, in the last five or six years or so. Um, Memphis is obviously an in, interesting one from from my point of view, being a, a rider covering Manchester United. It arrived amid a, a huge fanfare when he um, was signed by Louis van Gaal at, at Old Trafford. Never particularly lived up to it. Uh, there, were, there were fits and starts. There was the odd glimmer and 
obviously a very, very talented player. I think um, Rio Ferdinand summed it up best recently when he just, he just said that move probably came a little bit too soon for, for Memphis Depay coming from PSV Eindhoven, but he has completely reinvented himself at, at Lyon and looks on the verge of a move to Barcelona as well. So, um, yeah, those two are absolutely inspirational figures. The rest of the Dutch squad, for me, doesn't have the quality of those two. So I think they are heavily reliant on them. Um, and I would like to see uh, Holland being properly tested as well. I think they were probably in the weakest group of the of the initial stage of this tournament. And I don't know if Czech Republic will test them too much either. I wasn't very impressed with how they played against England in that final group match. So it could be in the quarterfinals when uh, I think Netherlands could get their proper challenge in this tournament. So far, it has been a, a bit of a breeze for them. And I do expect them to, to get through this one. Yeah, it always reminds me of a Euro 2004 group game between these two. I think the Dutch went 2-0 up and Czech Republic came back 3-2 to, to win. Very sort of different time. But in terms of the Dutch, Tom, what have, have you made of them? And there's been a lot of talk, I suppose, already sort of contenders for player of the tournament. And is Memphis Depay up there? Because a few sort of are saying that he should be. He's certainly sort of been very lively at the top end of the pitch for the Dutch, albeit maybe not scored as many goals as he could have. I, he'll be up there if if they progress, if they, you know, he needs to score for them to keep going through. So he will be up there, but it's, yeah, I think this is going to be a tough game for them. Actually. I think they have had a, an easy, you know, the probably the easiest route into the last 16 of anybody. And this will be their hardest test. So they, um, okay. North Macedonia, they, they, for North Macedonia, they had a great tournament. They scored a couple of goals, Goran Pandev on the score sheet, but they're not a test. And it is hard to go from, three easier games to suddenly a bit bit much of a sterner test. And I, I do think the Czechs will be will be tougher to break down. They won't leave all the all the gaps open. I mean the, the Ukraine game for the Netherlands when um when Dumfries was just bombing up that wing. It was just Shevchenko never changed anything. He didn't put you know a left back in he there was an injury as well. And and it was just every single time down that right wing constantly and the same against um against austria dumfries coming up that right wing and and the czechs just won't do that the czechs will be more defensive and they won't give netherlands that much space and they will need a bit of a uh, bit of genius a bit of magic from someone like depay or to, to sneak through i no, could be completely wrong but i think this is going to be a very close game and i i wouldn't be surprised if the czechs did squeak it my if i was a betting man i probably would have the netherlands slight favorites but i think it's it's going to be closer than we expect yeah, I think it's definitely kind of a bit, maybe a bit of a step up for them from the group. But Tom, just sort of sticking with you on the game and talking about the Czechs, obviously with your West Ham hat on, you've got, a, I suppose, a bit of a vested interest in seeing how the Czechs are do through the course of the tournament. And we've not really seen Thomas Socek come up with a, a match contribution in terms of a, a real goal or assist just yet. But he is a guy who, on the big occasions, normally thrives. That's a bit harsh on Suche. Did you not see his uh, his assist for that wonder goal and against Scotland? It was yeah, one of the him. It was an absolute cracking assist there. But, uh, Cut the defence you know, wide open. He, uh, he does seem to be a little bit shackled in this team. He doesn't. He's not allowed to get as forward as he does for West Ham, and he he did in the in the first game a little bit when they played um, for against Scotland. They had Alex Crow next to him, who who sat a little bit more, and I, I was saw the heat maps and and it was very much one goes, one stays, and and he. With West Ham, he always has Rice, you know, sitting sitting behind him. And he just does have that license to get forward and get in the box from open play as well as from set pieces. I mean, he is one hell of a header over the ball, but it, he does it from open play as well. And um, I think that will be, you know, the, the Czechs have expert delivery in in Suchek, as, I'm sorry, in Sufal as well. He, you know, 
He, he did that against Scotland from open play, but he's also got a very good dead ball on him. And that is where they will be a threat. And I'm sure they will concentrate on that in this game. And um, like you say, he's, he's a big game player. He, you know, he's, he scored 10 goals last season in the Premier League. Um, he was level with, you know, if you take out penalties from someone like Bruno Fernandes, he was, he was level with him. And you think how how many goals and how many assists um, Fernandes had. And, and Suchek isn't as an attacking player as that, but from open play, he's he's a massive threat. And uh, the set pieces too. So yeah, I would not be surprised if he steps up. And um, I mean, you, you'd imagine someone like De Ligt or De Vrij will have to be marking him, you know, get the biggest man on. But he also creates a distraction which allows other players to, to get on the end. And, you know, Patrick Schick in goal scoring form as well. You, If everyone's worried about Suchek and you double, you know, you got two men on him at a set piece, that means somebody else is, is likely to get free. And, and yeah, yes, this is with the West Ham hat on here. I, I would love them to to keep going as well. It's, uh, it's great for me. Um, it it kind of gives me a second team to follow as well. Yeah, definitely. In terms of mentioning Sochet, I thought he was going to score at uh, at Wembley for a moment. He did come mighty close, but thankfully went wide of the upright. Good mention there of Bruno Fernandes as well. Tom takes us on to the uh, other last 16 game of today, Belgium v Portugal. And Dominic, this is one that you just rub your hands at looking at, don't you? The Belgian sides cruising through the group and Portugal, I don't know, maybe stuttering somewhat through the group, but they've they've been in some high quality games already. Yeah, it's two teams who I can't imagine will do a huge amount of defending, actually. And it might might be just a basketball contest to see who can score more goals. Portugal seemed to to prefer to play that way in the group stage. That, that game against Germany, their defence was was absolutely wide open. And, and against France, we saw that how many errors that they've got in them as well. But obviously, they're always liable to, to score themselves with, with Ronaldo leading, leading the attack and um, had the luxury in the, in the last group game of leaving Bruno Fernandes on the bench for the start of the game. It'd be interesting to see... Um, whether Santos does that again and Jamutinho comes into, into the midfield, maybe. Obviously, Bernardo Silva, Jota, um, you cannot doubt their quality. But there's something about this Belgian team, they just seem to be maybe reaching some sort of peak, some sort of um, uh, coming together point of their golden generation that we've been talking about for a few years. I've got a sneaking suspicion that Belgium will get through this one. Um it may not be pretty for Ronaldo, but um, I think Lukaku is probably the man to to grab this one by the scruff of the neck. I think he, he's been looking absolutely uber sharp, and and again from a from a Man United perspective, that was something that we just didn't see very often at Old Trafford. And the kind of um, slick forward play that he's putting together now, uh, moving into the wide areas, looking really really comfortable on the ball. You know, he's far more than a finisher these days, Romelu Lukaku. He is almost a complete striker. And um, you you were right when you said uh, um, before, Guy, it's a shoot-off between Ronaldo and Lukaku. I do think it'll it'll play out like that. But um, I think the difference probably is that Lukaku probably has a little bit more backing him up and that quality of um, De Bruyne might just tell over Fernandez on the day. I, I do think Fernandez is a little bit jaded and not quite the player that we saw with United earlier in the season. So, um Really, really interesting one. I mean, everyone's going to be tuning in for this. Probably the, apart from England, Germany, probably the highlight of the last sixteen. So, um, yeah, get get on your get on your TV screens and and don't miss this one because I think it'll be all action. 
Yeah, I think it definitely will. Tom, what have you made of Portugal? Because obviously the way the groups are structured these days, so long as you get a win, you, you've got a strong chance of getting out of the group. They left it very late against Hungary and 3-0 probably flattered them in the end. Then they were well beaten by Germany and that, that draw with France, but maybe for Patricio, say from Pogba, could have maybe lost that game. It was a tight affair. It was a very good game as well. But Cristiano Ronaldo, he's got five goals. Everything is built around him. But to me, sometimes it feels as though he can get in the way of a team dynamic, if you understand what I mean. As much as it's hard to criticise one of the greatest players that's ever been, it kind of feels sometimes he can stunt things. I, I, I understand what you mean. And I have heard other people say that, you know, Portugal's best performance in recent years has come without him in the team. But it's Cristiano Ronaldo. You're not going to leave him out. Like, you know, it, it's just not going to happen. And... You know, maybe they had one really good performance without him in the team, but but he is, you know, he's the focal point. He starts, he's he's absolutely incredible. And and yeah, you know, he he can produce a moment of magic. All right, he's not gonna do what he did ten years ago and start on the left wing and take on four or five players, but is there anybody else you'd rather have in the box? You know, maybe Harry Kane, maybe Lewandowski, but you still probably pick Ronaldo, wouldn't you, for for that absolute guarantee of goals and um yeah, I, I mean, it's just going to be a brilliant game, isn't it? It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Whether Fernandez starts or not, I mean, Portugal took France to a 2-2 to a draw. And yeah, maybe in the last 10 minutes or so, France eased off a little bit. And and you mentioned it, but that Patricio save did not get as much uh, as much love as it deserved. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, the, the yeah, look People were saying it was head. a basic yeah. save and he should have oh. made it. I thought it was incredible. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The, the agility to get up there, to the, the strong hand as well, because that was flying, that shot. It was a brilliant save. Absolutely brilliant. It kind of reminded me a bit of the... Um, Jordan Pickford won in the last World Cup, which which kind of got glossed over a bit because Colombia then scored from the uh, from the the corner. But you know, it, it was an amazing save, and and yeah, Patricio, you know, proven his worth with that right there. Yeah, definitely. One final point just to, to make on the game and an individual to highlight, Dominic, you kind of referenced him beforehand. And Kevin De Bruyne, I know it's obviously on the other side of the, the Manchester divide, as it were, for, for you from being a Manchester United writer. But in terms of Kevin De Bruyne, are we maybe guilty of falling into a sort of position of being complacent and taking him for granted because he came on in that Denmark game, completely changed it. Wasn't seemingly too close to winning the PFA Footballer of the Year last year that went to Ruben Diaz. Yet for me, he's just a magician every time you see him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've, I've been making this point actually to friends over the last few years that De Bruyne is head and shoulders the best creative midfielder in the world. And it's not said anywhere near often enough uh, which is even strange when you consider there's actually probably a real lack of players in his position um, of a top quality at the moment I can't think around the world at the moment Fernandez, you might say but he's probably only been doing it for 18 months Kevin De Bruyne has been doing it for four five six years and you know that what he gives to this Belgium team is what he gives to Manchester City who despite what happened in the Champions League final and through gritted teeth as a United writer, they are the best club team in the world right now. I don't see any de- debate about that. And and De Bruyne has, has made them so. Um, just the way his vision and the way he um, sees space, sees players around him, um, I think he could be the difference for Belgium at this tournament. Now he's approaching full fitness. Um, like you say, Guy came off the bench, completely changed that Denmark game. Um absolute wizardry for that first goal where he picked out the pass instead of going for the shot which I think 99 out of 100 footballers would have done um, and a fantastic finish for that second one with his left foot so 
Absolutely, yeah. I think De Bruyne can can now now in the knockout stages of this tournament, I can see him taking every game by the scruff of uh, his neck and, and imposing himself on the tournament. And it will he will take some stopping. It'll be a, a big job for that Portuguese midfield um, to shackle him. Although a, a little shout out, I think, for Renato Sanchez, who I think has been magnificent in this tournament so far and come a long way from those dark days when he was passing it into advertising hoardings at Swansea. So um, fair play to him for turning him, himself around, but. Um, yeah, he will have a tough job against uh, De Bruyne. Yeah, Renato Sanchez passing to advertising hoardings, Kevin De Bruyne passing through the eye of a needle. But Tom, just in terms of De Bruyne, I said it earlier on in the, the competition that if France go all the way, having won the Champions League in Golo Kante might be a shout for sort of Ballon d'Or winner. But I suppose the, the same can be said for, for Belgium and, and Kevin De Bruyne. If they do go all the way, surely you, you can't really deny him that. De Bruyne is just a, a fabulous footballer. I just sat here nodding along with everything Dominic said about him. And it, as, as good as uh, Romelu Lukaku is for Belgium, it, it becomes a little bit easier when you've got De Bruyne servicing you, you know, when he can pick those balls. Not taken away from uh, from Lukaku's finishing, but you, you can understand why Harry Kane wants to go to Manchester City. Who would not want to play with De Bruyne? I mean, Eden Hazard is a fantastic footballer, but I've always, always thought... De Bruyne is the key. De Bruyne is, you know, as good as Hazard is, no one is better than De Bruyne at what he does. He is just an incredible footballer. And you know, the Champions League final might have gone a different way had he not picked up that injury, but it's just so good to see him back playing for Belgium. And, and like you two guys have said, you know, he made the difference against Denmark and he will be the, the difference if, if ben, uh, Belgium progress. I mean, the one question mark with them is, is an aging defence. You know, it can... can quick, fast attackers get past them. You would worry about, you know, someone like Mbappe up against out of Ireland of a Tongan, you know, it, that's, that's a bit of a mismatch, but what Belgium have got going forward and what De Bruyne brings to the table is incredible. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that one does play out. Really whetted the appetite for the game. So today's games, then the Netherlands against Czech Republic, followed by Belgium against Portugal, as we look to see who does progress into the quarterfinals. But from myself, Guy Clark, Tom Clark and Dominic Booth, thanks for your time and your company here on the Euro Digest. Bye for now.